This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia and welcome to episode 123, take 400 of the Half Measures podcast. We are having numerous technical problems today, but we've we've actually recorded the show once before and we, we've lost it all, so we're, we're committed to the cause, we're recording again. Hopefully, if you're listening to this, the show's finally made it to air, but I'm once again joined by my co-host and friend, Mr. Paul Knauer. How you doing, pal? Then I just hope that you're going to laugh at any jokes I cracked the first time round and the second time round and then the third time when we just gave up halfway through. It, it's laugh or cry for me at this point, like in so much so, just a, a real peek behind the curtains. So we've had so much trouble, we've actually had to switch um, provider that we use to record the podcast. And one of the things I always kind of do in a joking sense with the podcast is I do a bit of a, a countdown before we hit the record button. This new platform <laughs> does the countdown. I've just been made redundant on on our own podcast. It's great. It gives you time to focus on what really matters, which is you know what what we've been watching. Because right now it feels like we've been watching um, Groundhog Day. Oh yeah, I, and to be honest, I feel like I've said welcome to episode one hundred and twenty-three ten times, and. Uh, Anyway, that's not what people are here for. They're here to hear what have we been watching, what have we been doing. Mr. Porkenauer, what have you been watching? So um, alongside the things that we've watched together and read together this week, been a lot of emotional watches and reads, I have started a rewatch of an older Star Trek series, but it still checks out. Um, and the backstory for this one is, um, as I've said before, I listen to Mission Log podcast every week and they review an episode of Star Trek every week. And so they've now reached Star Trek Voyager. And so this is a show that I haven't watched since it aired in 1995. And the, and the synopsis for this one is um, whilst chasing a group of rebel insurgents, the Starship Voyager and the rebel ship are both suddenly transported to the other side of the galaxy and then to get home would take 75 years even at maximum speed so they they band together and and sort of say okay let's try and find a faster way home and so this isn't something that i would necessarily have chosen to rewatch if as i say mission Log podcast hadn't reached this point um i might have gone back and rewatched next gen but uh it's been really good and that's sort of been really rewarding because as i said i might not have chosen this show and also as i was watching a first few episodes my eight-year-old daughter was sort of watching in the background then she came and sat next to me and she's like daddy i want to watch this with you so we went back to the pilot again and now we've watched the whole first season and it's just been one of the most enjoyable rewatches i can tell you about for some time i think that's going to be one of the the greatest moments as a parent right like when you're when you're a kid your tamariki comes up to you and actually wants to join in on the the interest that you have particularly in a you know thing, things like you know star wars and star trek like those they're kind of they're mainstream but they're niches right and they're not for everybody so it's awesome that that she's going on this journey with you it is because you know i've got my son who loves star wars and now she's coming in on the star trek so all the boxes are being ticked the thing with voyager is historically it wasn't well received it's poorly reviewed um but i think it's aged fairly well other than the fact it's not full sort of you know full widescreen it's the old square four three cut which is always weird when you've got black lines down the side but um yeah it's it's a really fascinating plot i think other than star trek picard uh the the recent you know the recent series i think this is actually my second favorite pilot of any star trek series and i really i, lo I just love the premise and that that week to week episodic sort of format as opposed to serialized. So it's sort of like each week there's a different challenge and it makes it real simple to, to pick up it and drop at any point. And also really good for someone young watching too, I think. So a complete new question, Paul, like my, you know, my Star Trek uh, journey has been a bit hit and miss. I've watched a few movies based on your recommendation. I've watched a little bit of the, the TV shows. So and this one isn't really as familiar to me, like it all kind of blues into one. So is this, is when I think about Star Trek, TV shows. I think about the original series, and then I think about the one with, um, is it Next Generation with Picard in it? And there's a where does this one sit? Is it before, or after, in the middle? What 
What's going on here? Good question. So this one sits um, after Star Trek The Next Generation and sort of at halfway through the same time as Deep Space Nine. So it's sort of, you know, original series was first, then Next Gen, and then Deep Space Nine and Voyager are kind of a similar time. And so of the eight Star Trek series, um, this one normally would sort of rate further down the list, but I just have a feeling that already that's in my top four. And I remember from the first watch back in the 90s that it just got better and better. So we're not even hitting peak Voyager yet, but uh, yeah. And it's it's such a good, um, again, just focusing on my daughter for a moment, it's such a, so many great uh, role models. So we've got Captain Catherine Janeway is a, is a great captain and leader. Belana Torres, the chief engineer. Uh, she's a real strong character as well. There's a lot of role models in there and a lot of great stories. It's awesome. It's uh, it's great to hear that you're you're having a good time. And you know, in my book, Paul, your daughter's already up there because she's also a Transformers fan. You know, like that's that's two shows that you know you can share with her. Amazing. And spoiler alert: I've also started Doctor Who series seven, and she sat down and been interested in a bit of that as well. So there's a there's a lot of brownie points being in at this point. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Indeed not. But um. But yeah, so this for me is, uh, if anyone's thinking of, of jumping into a Star Trek show, I would say this is a really good entry point just because it's it's a simple mission. It's really straightforward. It's episodic. And um, if you did want to just jump in, Caretaker, Eye of the Needle, State of Flux, Detrail, any of those episodes would be ones I would say, go in and have a look and see if it's for you. They're all real strong. And if you like Vulcan characters like Mr. Spock from back in the day, we've got a first ever mainstream Vulcan character uh Tuvok and he he's good value as well so um so yeah um and if you've watched it back in the 90s and you were like oh you gave up on it or you felt fatigued a lot of people said there was too much Star Trek back on in the 90s uh, or if you just heard it wasn't that good honestly it's on Netflix I say check it out great stuff it's great to be able to go back and sort of relive some of these experiences and look I had a good run right 1995 to 2001 so I imagine lots of content yeah. there seven seasons and uh but yeah other than the things we've watched and read together dan that is me for this week how about yourself all right so uh i have watched a a new sort of limited series actually on apple tv called shining girls and it's a bit of a tough one to talk about without going too deep into kind of the the spoilery cracks of the show so i'll try to keep it um as spoiler free as possible but it's, uh, this is actually a TV show based on a book. And it stars Elizabeth Moss as Kirby, our, our main character. And it also stars Jamie Bell as Harper, who's sort of our, our core villain of the show. Um, it's got some other great actors and sort of cast in there that you may know from other shows. But the the main premise of the show is Kirby, who's Elizabeth Moss, is basically the she's the victim of an attempted murder. And it's it's I think it's about six years after the, the attempt happened. And she's still kind of, um, as you would imagine, recovering and sort of dealing with the emotional trauma of all of those events. And she's actually working at the Chicago Sun newspaper. And she ends up partnering up with one of the reporters, who you may know from uh, Narcos, uh, is uh, Wagner Mora, who plays Dan. And they basically go on a a bit of a, a hunt, I guess, to try to uncover who this killer is. And we, we know as the audience that it's Jamie Bell who, who plays Harper. And it's kind of a little bit of an interesting cat and mouse game because um, Harper, who's the, the serial killer, is kind of leaving clues um, around who his next victim is inside his current victim. So he's doing some sort of horrific sort of, you know, surgery and things on these people um wow. i use the word surgery it's not surgery uh but some some pretty some pretty terrible things to people and it's a what's really good about this show is eight episodes it's got a sort of great sort of start to finish it i don't think it answers all your questions but there is a as i was saying at the start there's a book that this is based on so i think there's a little bit more out there if you're wanting more but i like i like a limited series i think it does great things I was a little bit, uh, when I first, in the first couple of episodes, I was a little bit unsure of Elizabeth Moss' character, mostly because I sort of felt like it's such a familiar character that we see Elizabeth Moss play in the sense that um, uh, the victim of a, of a circumstance, a bit of a road to recovery, sort of eventually sort of 
um, getting getting her her mana and her power back. But I think the show actually takes it way beyond that. And so though I maybe sort of felt like we'd seen this character in other TV shows like Handmaid's Tale movies before, I think she does a good job of sort of going beyond that sort of typecast role that she kind of seems to be in a lot at the moment. But this is a a great murder crime mystery with some some really great sort of twists and turns. So if you're looking for something in that realm, Apple TV's got some real treats. I love how, because of course, as you say, Dan, this isn't the first time we've talked about this with our recording issues. You tell me something different this time as well, which is good because I'm learning even more. But the one thing you said both times is about Elizabeth Moss, right? Now that that's something we've picked up on with uh, the uh, the movie she starred in, the 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 Invisible Man, Man was it? yeah, and and um. So it's really refreshing to hear that she goes in a different direction. Wagner Moore, as you picked up on, I love that guy as um, Escobar, Pablo Escobar, great actor. There's a lot of a lot of appealing things here, and mostly, as you sort of said, the miniseries. I just love the the you know you don't have to commit to too much. You can jump in, and a few episodes. I'm all about miniseries. It's one of the reasons why I haven't watched some of series that I know I should have watched, like for example, The Wire. 24 because it's just so much to, to catch up on but a, a miniseries feels like a real easy go-to for me and uh, as someone who partakes of the apple television i now have access to that well this is gonna be right up your alley and that's why like sometimes like coming on the pod like it's i i want to kind of deep dive into these with you but it's which is why we so often have shared watches right but sometimes you don't know something sort of worthy of a shared, a shared watch until we kind of deep into yeah. it but i would say this is one to add to your your watch list i think it it does some interesting things. It's definitely got that unique story, as I was saying, and, and it's got a fantastic cast. And I think the one thing that I sort of, regardless of whether they're, you know, whether you find them good or not, I think Apple TV is producing some sort of really high-end content. Yeah, the production stills look real good. I see Amy Brennan's in it as well. Always enjoy her. I remember her from Heat. Um, most recently watched her in Tell Me Your Secrets. Um as you say, Jamie Bell. There's a lot of great casting going on there, so it's it's rating um, pretty well too. So it's on my list, Anne. I added it to watch list as you were talking. I always appreciate that, and that's sort of mainly what I've been watching, apart from all of our, our joint watches and, and and readings that we've done. So, um, shall we jump on over to another show that we've watched together, uh, 1883? Yeah. So. This is one that you've talked about a few times in the on the news desk, and as, as Yellowstone fans, we've sort of been waiting for this one to arrive in New Zealand, which it now has. And this one, this one follows the post Civil War generation of the Dutton family as they leave Tennessee, um, journey to Fort Worth, Texas, and join a European immigrant wagon train undertaking the arduous journey to Oregon before, as we know, settling in Montana. So. This for me, Dan, uh, as a Yellowstone fan, I came in very, very excited. And one of the things that this show delivered for me really well is the pace. It, it's it's a real nice Western, drawn out, slow, deliberate um, focus on, on on struggles that we wouldn't think about today, like like crossing a river, which I'm sure we'll talk about again. Um, for me, though, this was a fantastic watch. What about you? I absolutely love this TV show. It's 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 definitely in my my top ten. I'm already concerned about how many shows are in my top ten and how I'm actually going to work out my my number one. It's going to be tough. And I think as soon as this show came out, I was so devastated that I, we couldn't access it straight away. It came out on Paramount Plus mm. originally and eventually made its way um, over here. Sort of four months later. And I'll tell you though, and I I worked so hard to avoid all of the spoilers, and it was just it was such a joy, and I think all of those ten episodes, I just felt like I savored each one, and I I didn't want it to end, and I just I think the the cast, the story, it all just come together as a bit of a a perfect storm for me, and I think what this does well is it it really made me appreciate the the concept of why John Dutton and Yellowstone cares so much about the land, and I know that land is highly controversial I know that you know should it even be their land in the first place there's, there's a whole to do about that but I think it made me appreciate um John Dutton's sort of resolute when it comes to the land is important I'm not just going to give it up 
because I think in the story of 1883 is the, is the hard-fought journey to kind of get that land. And to be honest, like, you know, this is, we're obviously talking spoilers here. It's actually the journey to the land. This, is, this isn't even really about the mm. land in this whole series. It's, it's actually getting there, and that, that's the battle. Yeah, it is. It is. It is a story of a journey. It's um, and so when we hear John Dutton in Yellowstone talk about it, and as people often do in TV shows, they sort of try to make reference to the past and what it means to them. You kind of get what they mean, but being able to see this, we can feel it, and it becomes so much more real. So I imagine a rewatch of Yellowstone, which I'm sure one one time will be on the cards for us. Um, it's going to resonate even more, knowing what these people went through. Uh, quickly some of the cast to focus in on then um, I know he didn't play a Dutton so he's almost sort of secondary to the plot but I have to start with with Sam Elliott as as the captain Captain Brennan I thought at the age of 77 that this has to be one of his finest performances because I was looking through his what he's been in and you know he, he was there with um, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid back in 67 and he's just kept on going. He still reminds me of how he looked in Tombstone back in you know, nearly 30 years ago. And this, for me, was just top draw from Sam Elliott. He's so good, isn't he? Like, I think Sam Elliott is one of those people that's like born to play a cowboy. And I think it's there's an interesting pool of actors who I actually think just get better and better with age. And, and he's definitely one of them. And I think I just loved how, how grizzled he was as a character. And... You know, just his the, the tension between he's kind of doing this one last job to get these to get these people to their destination, but he also hates his job and he hates having to do it and he thinks they're all useless, but he wants to do it anyway. And it's kind of just all these like perfect tensions, and he he's horrible, yet he's lovable. And I think what they've done well with his character is they gave us glimpses into his past. They gave us glimpses into. Mm you know, why he's kind of in the emotional state he is. And then I think they balance him out with other great characters, uh, like La Monica Garrett, who plays uh, Thomas, who sort of works alongside yeah. him as a bit of a, uh, a partner. And I think that sort of softens the edge a little bit. But I'm with you, like, even though he's not a Dutton, he, he's a he's a Dutton in our hearts. He, he truly is. And good shout on La Monica Garrett, because as you say, he really balances them out well. Those two together were just such a... A, a great combo to sort of be taking this this group of dare I say it because it was one of my criticisms almost sort of painted to be too incapable um, group of European immigrants they, they they seemed a little too helpless it sort of I was kind of like I'm amazed they got as far as where they did let alone going on their way to Oregon they were sort of painted to be a bit too too silly at times perhaps i don't know um but i thought the two of them together as a driving force taking them along were were just were just good but yeah his voice his look all as you said born to be a cowboy all that experience of having played in this this uh, this arena for so long when he gets angry he is really angry and when he when he then talks about the loss of his family it's it's you know we said this is an emotional week of watches this is the first of those emotional watches for sure I think too, and I'm unfortunate, Paul, because this is the second time I get down to this question about these immigrants, um, and I, it's given me a bit of a chance to sort of reflect on it. And I guess you know the reason they're potentially helpless, and I, I think maybe they were portrayed as extremely helpless, is I guess coming from um, Europe, which even though in 1880, I imagine they probably left in 82 or whenever it was, or whatever part of 1883, they were still kind of living in a developed world at that time whereas like the wild west is truly untamed and they've you know they're they're doing things which i i'm guessing these people have probably never experienced so but i think you're right like i think you would expect there'd be some sort of um skills within that group to kind of manage some of the the chaotic things that are happening or at the very least you'd learn fast because it is one of the it's the land is literally trying to kill you the whole way, whether it's a, a rock in the road, a snake in the grass, a, a, a bandit. There's, there's so many there's so many threats. Oh, so many, so many threats at every turn. And I think I think uh, the answer you've given me there is, uh, is even better than the first time around. Um, I think you're right. Um, can we, though, quickly skip to James Dudden and uh, his family? Tim McGraw... So he's playing the great grandfather of Kevin Costner's John Dutton, and I'm not going to fake 
my surprise anymore because I now know this guy's a country singer and he's married to Faith Hill in real life, which I didn't know. He does such a great job in this. He's got a real rip, rip vibe about him. Um, I remember him in Blindside with Sandra Bullock, but beyond that, I I really don't have any sort of knowledge of him at all. And um, but the he has these moments where he he's sort of he's, he's he's looking at his daughter, who we'll talk about as well. And he's shaking his head. He just knows there is absolutely zero point trying to control her or argue with her or anything. It's just like watching John with with, with Beth in Yellowstone. It's um, these. Uh, very headstrong daughters and i don't i I presume this is intentional paul but like i think what tim mccoy has done such an amazing job of is like you can see the duttonness inside him right like he's kind of like yeah look i have to protect my family that is my core job and i'll do whatever it takes and the the law of the west is the law of the west and if i have to strike you down if i have to if I have to kill you to do what's right for my family, that's what I'll do. And I think there's just elements of, and I, of I would presume that sort of like bringing in some of those Kevin Costner elements because you can just see the connection so strong between them. Yeah. And I think because, you know, I think Rip's another good shout, right? Because Tim McCraw's character is kind of the the largely strong, silent type. Like he's not someone who's Correct. just going to have a bit of a conversation with you. Like it's it's all business all the time. Yeah, no, that's right. There, there's elements of both, but yeah, the the silent and the protector is where the rip thing is for me. Faith Hill as Margaret Dutton, um, she was really convincing in this as well. I really enjoyed her, and of course, their daughter Elsa Dutton, um, played by Isabel May. She's so she's kind of the the voice of the whole story, and she she sets the tone of each episode and that that narration throughout. I thought she was good. You know, a real free spirit, really really fearless um and yeah yeah talking spoilers as we are the way this 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 whole story goes i was surprised about the ending of this show for her character so yeah a couple of things in there like so elsa dudden isabel may absolutely fantastic actress fantastic character i just from the moment she sort of first started sort of narrating that first episode she just sort of like she just brought something so magical and so special to the show. And I just even loved her journey, right, of someone who's kind of like reaching their sort of peak teenage years in the Wild West and discovering who they are. And I think you can really see again, just making those connections to Yellowstone, you could really see the the, the Beth Dutton um, linkages and you've got this, such a, a strong character in a world where uh, it, it would be slightly unusual um, for some for someone like her to, to to play that role, and I think it's it's clearly like you know needed, and she's sort of it's 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 more beneficial for it. And I just I just think she was she was absolutely fantastic, and I think on the end of the show, Paul, I don't think I've ever watched such an emotional um, end to a TV show. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's um, it's it, and I think it's good because uh, you know it doesn't go in the direction that maybe you want it to or you maybe you're hoping it to and and it, it's good because it does bring out those emotions and it it really makes that watch mean something and the music behind that was so so poignant as well that really that was something else I noticed in the show was the music especially towards that that final episode really started to transition almost into the yellow not it didn't touch the yellowstone thing but it was just so obviously tied to the the score of yellowstone and i think it's one of those shows where um it just really tied in nicely and and on the subject of the the danger every turn the the brutality this is one of those shows where you realize why they call it the the wild wild west because it's it's just it's it, it is brutal and then towards the end there was uh there was a death which was pretty horrific right oh there was and i think it, it was actually sort of you know foreshadowed actually in the, in the start and that i think maybe the the first um the first That's episode right. but yeah i think there's oh let's just talk about it so the, the one of the the people in the the, the wagon trail the train or of people gets basically scalped and then like shot with arrows and they're still running around and it's honestly the most it, it's so horrific and i think one thing um, that is good is I think they actually didn't overdo too many things. There was maybe one or two that you you mentioned before, but 
in general, they, they showed us a lot of the threats of the West. And I think uh, for me, kind of almost sort of like educational, right? Because it kind of gave me a whole different appreciation of what it meant to kind of go out and live off those lands and, and deal with everything that it's throwing at you all the time. Yeah. And and the reference you made was me talking about the crossing of the river and maybe they cross one river too too many. But as you quite rightly said, that there's a lot of rivers between, you know, Tennessee uh, or Texas and, and, and Oregon. So um yeah, it's uh it was horrific though watching people drowning in a river and um this is what I mean about, you know, the challenges of the time. Mm. I just you know, you wouldn't get me going across the river then. I think too, and I think this has actually got me really excited for the you know, the next um prequel in the Taylor Sheridan lineup, uh nineteen twenty three. And I think because what was kind of interesting about eighteen eighty three is kind of, you know, the whole way through the series you're kind of trying to get your grounding around who's gonna live, who's gonna die, who actually makes it through to the uh the next the next part. Because, you know, even if you remember back in season four of Yellowstone, we actually had some some flashbacks to this what happens in eighteen eighty three and just trying to piece all those like bits of sort of puzzle together and I think it's kind of cool that we're now jumping forward um another forty years and to sort of see I think we're getting even closer to the the, the sort of the, the Dutton legacy and it'll be interesting to see in a in 1923 America what that looks like. Yeah, no, it really will. And whilst I still, if anyone hasn't seen either of these shows, I, I still recommend Yellowstone first and then 1883. But I have to admit, I'm tempted to to revisit those scenes that you just referenced uh, that are in Yellowstone because they will have so much more meaning now, whereas at the time they were they were interesting to watch, but that I I didn't quite feel the connection that I do now. So um, and on that note, I've spoken to some people who big Yellowstone fans, and so I talked about eighteen eighty three, and it wasn't for them. Uh, they they couldn't make the connection between the two because it's not just one generation; it's a few generations, you know. So um, James Dutton is the great grandfather of Kevin Costner's fan, so uh, uh, his character. So um, it's it is a subtle link. But it's very tangible. But because it's such different time periods, people that are coming into another Yellowstone show aren't going to get the same experience. Yeah, I think it's it's hard, right? Because like I think like I'm such a, a a huge fan of the whole sort of the Yellowstone saga. I just can't. I, I almost can't. I can't hear. I can't. And they're so connected for me that they're together. But it's it's a bit rich for me to say that when you know the, you know we talk about shows like Star Trek, and I sort of. You know, I want to love it, but I just I struggle to connect with that universe, and it's the it's the same concept, right? I think for me, deep down, it's I think I'm just a big Western fan, and I love a big like I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Like I really want to rewatch Dances with Wolves, and because I just kind of I want the the slow burn, the cowboy. We we, we talked last week on the news desk about Kevin Costner's sort of new um, Western um, movie series that's coming out. And I just I can't wait for it, like. I think there's something about that world, and that's why I've always um, ranted and raved about the Tombstone movie, and you know, even the, the the old classic westerns. It's there's something that just sparks joy in there for me, and I think if that doesn't for you, then I can kind of maybe appreciate why this might not be of interest because I think this is a bit of a slower paced story, but I think it's got the classic markings of a, a Taylor Sheridan series where it might be slow, but the payoff will be high. Oh yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I I find it yeah interesting that people sort of don't don't make that same connection. But I guess you're either in or you're out. And um, on the subject of Dance of the Wolves, uh, Graham Greene, uh, who he plays uh, Spotted Eagle in in this you know, Crow Elder, uh, always remember him from Dance of the Wolves, and some other great little cameos to to watch out for. So if you are thinking of watching it and you don't want any more spoilers, fast forward ahead thirty seconds. But we've got the likes of Tom Hanks coming in as General Mead. We've got Billy Bob Thornton. Um, and of course, Taylor Sheridan himself makes another little cameo. And he's just such a, we've said it before, he's such a talented guy, talented writer, talented horse. What's the person, someone who rides horse, horseman? <laughs> Cowboy. He just, he's just so good. He's so good. And anything that he's connected with now, like this this new series we're just going to watch he's, he's so good and i think whenever he does do a cameo he always sort of cameos in and does some awesome like horse work and he's just like doing flips and 
and like spins on his horse and stuff and just putting everyone else to shame. So I think, you know, Taylor Sheridan, like he feels like the real deal, right? Like he's not just writing these stories. Like he, he seems like someone who, you know, lives and breathes this sort of lifestyle. And I think that sort of brings another um, element of authenticity to, to the show. For sure. So, um, so yeah, that is Yellowstone 1883 available to watch on prime video. And as you said towards the start, Dan, I don't know how it's going to, how we're going to sort this top 10 out. Cause we are now, you know, it's the 1st of July. And so that's, we're only halfway through the year and I feel like I can give you 10 right now and I don't want to change any of those 10. Uh, so I, it's hard. I, I'm so, I'm so concerned about it. There's, it's going to be a great conversation when we finally do our top 10 to see how in sync we are for the year. Mm. There's going to be some 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 big cuts that don't deserve it, is all I can say. I think there's going to be some honourable mentions. Shall we uh, <laughs> jump on over to our other, not a joint watch this time, but a, a joint read. This is where Paul popped around to my house each night and he'd read me a, a few chapters of um, Star Wars Lost Stars. Indeed. So this is our first joint read we've brought books to the pod before but never together so this one star wars fans is set before rogue one we meet two uh, childhood friends sienna and thane and we follow them on a journey and a big journey at that through the events of rogue one and new hope the empire strikes back return of the jedi all the way through to the battle of jakku before uh, the Force Awakens. So it is a real epic tale in that respect. They they uh, they both sign up to the Empire. They both have a love of ships, but at one point Thane defects to the Rebel Alliance, and they struggle to to reconcile their their loyalty to their two organizations as well as their friendship, which blossoms into a romance. I think on paper, Paul, this book. Um shouldn't be as good as it is like you know like mm. ultimately we're talking about two characters who are not you know core or main characters of the star wars universe uh it's, it's ultimately a bit of a love story but i'll tell you paul this is in my top two star wars books that i've read so far uh this this story is absolutely amazing i really enjoyed i think just i think the journey that these two characters go on from such a young age and they're first of all as you mentioned they're they're kind of almost obsession and they're sort of like, we've got to join the empire. We've got to do our part. We're going to get to fly spaceships. It's going to be awesome. And to eventually kind of, I think what makes the story work so well is it touches on so many big milestones in the Star Wars universe and gives us little um, moments of some of our, our main heroes and villains from, from Star Trek, but it always keeps to its core of focusing on Sienna and Thane. And it, I think, you might have said this the first time we recorded the show, that I, I think it goes to show that there is a lot of great Star Wars stories to be told outside of the, you know, the the, the core Luke Skywalkers, for example. Yeah, oh, exactly. There certainly is. And if you're listening and thinking of reading this, do skip ahead to our movie of the week using the times in the show notes because there are a few spoilers that I really want to dive into because, as you say, this is proof that you can have a story within the universe and have totally new characters and it works because we understand the, the context of, of where they are when they are and what the backdrop is for those characters and, and um so it you know like right to the point where if you think about the the star destroyer that we find um ray scavenging at the start of the force awakens and never wonder how that star destroyer got there you're going to find out in this book if you've ever wondered how when the death star exploded darth vader was floating around in his tie fighter how he got back to his ship you're going to find out in this book and there's just little things along the way um and just they they don't overdo it but they just occasionally give you lines from the movies to let you know exactly where you are so their characters interact with so there's there's the moment on the desk there when the uh, escape pods start uh, ejecting from the tentative four blockade runner and they're like oh hold your fire there's no life forms aboard and you know our characters are there for that conversation and then all of a sudden they're they're there for a conversation in return of the jedi and it's just it's just really nice how it does that but this is for me a top read it's also in my top i'd say my top three or four it's, it's it is a love story in the star wars universe and it's not something that i have 
encountered with any of the other books that I've had. Claudia Gray is a great author. I've loved her work from previous books such as Master Apprentice, uh, Bloodline. She's got other books in the works as well. Um, it's just everything about this is enjoyable. And my biggest criticism, as I've said to you before, Dan, is that it almost takes on so much in terms of that time span that why didn't they split this between two books? Because I've read Aftermath, which is a trilogy of books set right after Return of the Jedi, and it only covers like a year. And you've got three books for a year of content. Whereas here we've got one book to, to cover, I don't know, what are we talking here, Dan? To, 25 years mm. it's mm. it's incredible yeah it's it's tough isn't it because i think and it actually spends a lot of the time you know though we're sort of mentioning here that we're, we're covering multiple movies it does it doesn't spend a lot of time sort of building up the characters first and then it sort of feels like as time progresses like particularly once we sort of get past the empire then it sort of starts to really speed up and i, th- I think you're right like this probably could have been a a great um two-part series or even a bit of a trilogy and i know that you know, a lot of people want uh, a Lost Stars uh, too because the, the book does kind of leave you with a, you know, it, it could finish there or there is more stories to tell. Um, and I, I think because these two characters are just so great, like I could see them in a, I, this, would, this would be an interesting live action. It would be an interesting animated TV show. Like there's, there's ways oh, yeah. to kind of really bring this to life. I understand that there's a comic series depiction of this story which i think would be really interesting to to read as well uh, because you sort of have a vision in your mind of what these characters might look like um but one thing it does well and we've talked about this before with um with inferno squad is that because we start with two characters with the empire and they believe because they are good people they come from a planet where they're you know they work hard they have families you know they're good people they think that they're signing up for something that is good and the way it is spun and portrayed from their perspective, the Empire appears to be the order against the you know these 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 terrorists, these rebels, and it's only when we get to the destruction of of Alderaan by the Death Star that Thane is kind of like, okay, this isn't quite what I you know we talked about last week with uh, you reading Catalyst, you know, like Gaena Erso, like I thought this was for altruistic purposes, not for death. The clue is in the name. Indeed, indeed, that should have been the the first giveaway. I think you're right, and it's an interesting sort of look into the psyche of these characters, right? And I think the, you know, for a lot of planets, it it kind of really paints the picture, right? Of the the empire is here to help. The empire is lifting things up, and it's not until kind of you know they start to sort of see as their planets get overly um, mined, or sort of you know people start sort of getting enslaved, or some of the the harsh requirements around them that it starts that it makes them start to question actually are, are we the bad guys and i think equally on the the rebel alliance side it's it's not as black and white over there and they're equally doing things which you know they're they're equally killing whether it be workers or people working for the empire and i think it does a great job of i think just making you kind of just question and just sort of really think about it's not all a simple sort of black and white story there's there's, there's two sides to, to both of these and you can see um how things get a little bit murky yeah oh exactly right and to your point about it being a, a top book i'll tell you the truth i've had this sit on my shelf now for a wee while like i've got i think i've got like nearly all of the canon books apart from a couple of the latest releases and i've still still got a couple in there to read and i've I've kind of left lost stars because the front cover never really spoke to me i didn't know who the characters were and so i naively arrogantly presumed that this might not be one of the better reads and so so happy to be to be proved to be proved wrong um another little moment that just came to me dan about how it touches on the events of the movies subtly was like when Sienna bumps into Piet in the lift and he says, Oh, Captain Piet. And he says, Oh, actually it's a, uh, it's Admiral. Now I'm taking over from Admiral Ozzel. And there's this unspoken, don't go there. You don't want to know how I got this promotion. And it's, it's, it's so enjoyable to watch that having obviously seen Empire Strikes Back and knowing exactly how that happened. I think it's great, right? Cause I think because this movie is kind of touching on core moments when, um, you know, Moth Tarkin and Vader are walking around the, um, the Star Destroyer or a Death Star and like even though you know if you go back to the original A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back etc like Kane and um, Sienna sorry Athena and Sienna aren't in the 
in there, but like I like to think that actually they were there at that time. Yeah. And even though we don't actually sort of point out who those characters were, like there's a another great moment uh, on Hoth when they're getting ready to leave the planet and Thane is having to get rid of some tauntauns and they're they're releasing them and they're kind of smack talking about our oh, Luke Skywalker. Oh, he wants to be a Jedi. Like, oh, we're not all Luke Skywalker, you know, and it's kind of, it's so great, right? Because you could just imagine like, you know, Luke Skywalker swagging in big energy um, and actually there's other people that have actually just as much heroes of the, of the rebellion. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 so many little moments like that, isn't there? And the the the, the sort of like rolling of the eyes about Luke is is quite funny because if you hadn't watched the movies and you just heard all the things that people on the ground might hear, you might think, "Who is this guy? Who does he really think he is?" And you know, th- there's kind of a a different energy how they talk about Leia because of course they bump into Leia at that um, what is it like a ball or something mm-hmm. where they have like a dancing at the graduation at the Empire, and of course she's one of the you know, princesses that come in and uh, moments like that are good. The older on situation is even more poignant because we've watched the Obi-Wan series, which brings, we've got a better understanding of what that planet is now more than we ever got before. And so sort of seeing that get destroyed through the eyes of these characters in the book um, was was even more powerful. And, um, and then the shock, <laughs> the shock of finding the second Death Star and everyone's like, they made a second one, yeah. You know, because everyone's been like, "Why? Why would you do that?" It's uh, it's it's really interesting. Another sort of great moment in there too is when you you touched on it before, when uh, Sienna has to go pick up um, Lord Vader because it's after the destruction of the first Death Star, and I love it when they pick up Vader and Vader's like, "I'm flying, get in the back of the hull, and I want to see you." Yeah, and like it's so Vader, isn't it? Like it's just such like it's like <laughs> I'm driving. Get yeah. out of my face. And just the fear of, of meeting him and thinking, oh, but feeling sorry for him because, oh, he has to wear this respirator and then saying to her friends when they got back to the Devastator saying, oh, he's a bit scary. I know it's to help him breathe, but didn't you find it a bit scary? And obviously, obviously it's meant to be scary. And also when she saw the Emperor for the first time because she's sort of seen pictures of him depicted as being this fine senator who's leading the way, but actually when she saw him got off the shuttle on the second Death Star and saw him walking along with his cane and just feeling that evilness coming out of him, sort of like oh this is who i'm working for this is the guy you know it's um you start to see more and more behind the curtain and i think this is you know i think behind the curtain is a good word right because i think this is one of those books that actually lets you understand a little bit more about how the empire works what their thinking is how they kind of even just how they they structure themselves and and how kind of they they build everything on distrust and everyone's all like, you know, because that's always one of my sort of pet peeves is why is everyone so horrible to each other in the Empire? Like, you know, everyone's challenging your security clearance and who are you? And, you know, but it's, it's kind of it's yeah. built on that. And you kind of get to see some of that build out in this story. But I think if you're a Star Wars fan and, you know, you're maybe looking to get into Star Wars books, this would be a great one to jump into, I think, because it, it just, it's, it's so neutral to the wider storyline but connects to the wider storyline yeah and in fact in some ways it's almost the easiest of books to come into because the characters are brand new and as long as you sort of have a basic understanding that you know there is a death star there is an empire the rebels come along and they blow it up and then they go to the ice planet you know you don't need to know too much and you'll be able to follow that story really well and you'll get a richness that um that you really don't get from from anything else because it's so unique because we follow literally from start to finish these two characters journey it's a it's a 100 a great read yeah so you can check that out so that is lost stars by claudia gray shall we uh just on to our our third and, and final uh joint watch of the week paul our movie of the week more emotion dan more emotion so every week dan and i take it in turns to uh, choose a movie to review together um, for our movie in the week we post that in our discord community which you can join by clicking on the note, uh, link in the show notes and then we review it seven days later or eight days later in this case um here we are it's coda child of deaf adults and this this is an incredibly emotional watch as a as a child of deaf adults ruby is the only hearing person in her deaf family and when the family's fishing business is threatened, Ruby finds herself torn between pursuing her passion at Berkeley College of Music and her fear of abandoning her parents. 
Dan? This is, first of all, a fantastic movie, and it's one that's already won a lot of awards, and it deserves to win all the awards. This is a movie that I think, kind of coming into it, like I, I knew it had won the awards, but I it didn't really spark anything, like just from seeing sort of the poster of even knowing what this is about or kind of, oh, I should go check that out. And it was sort of always on my list, like check it out because it's winning awards, it must be good. But it was just such a, a wonderful, heartfelt story with a fantastic cast that I kind of came into thinking, oh, is this going to be a good movie? And I honestly, one of the, the best movies I've seen in a long time and kind of a, a genre which, you know, comedy drama which is often it can be a bit hit or miss I think this ticks all the bosses oh not all the bosses all the boxes and it's it's educational informing builds great sort of uh empathy for the this this character in this community it's a fantastic watch it really is and I spotted just as you said the comedy drama because that's how it's sort of framed on a couple of different review sites and IMDb and for me the comedy element is there, but the drama, the story is is the main thing, and there are some laughs along the way. But there's there's a lot of tears as well, and you know, as you say, it's won a lot of awards, and sometimes movies win the best picture award and other Oscars, and then I go away and watch it, and I I don't understand how it's won those awards. But as you said, this a hundred percent deserves it. So different to what I expected. Um, it's it's also educational for me as well because I found myself sort of having a different appreciation or different understanding of the the challenges that the deaf people have. And whilst I'm not saying I didn't have that uh, appreciation before, I've never considered how, for example, one of the things that resonated with me is two deaf people having an argument with each other as a different context of frustration, because as they're signing, um, you know, the, the signing becomes more intense. And so it becomes even harder for them to, to a sign and B to understand what the other person is signing. And so that, brings about even more frustration and um yeah that escalates things further than if 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 to if you and i were to be arguing we might just raise our voices it's a different type of frustration i think too and just the the other thing i think the story is, is, is educational and the world sort of enlightening is the fact that so ruby our, our main character who um can hear just like living her life away, like she's she's the the core person that bridges the gap for her family and she helps them run their business. She helps them live their, live their lives. Not that they're incapable, but they're, you know, they're kind of in small town America. There's, as you would imagine, low tolerance for anyone that's even slightly different from the norm. So she's sort of really working hard to protect her family. Um, they're also trying to live their lives. I think there's some real funny scenes, like there's that funny um, mm. sex scene where like her parents just have no idea how much noise they're making. She's got a friend over, <laughs> and just the the things that you would just. I, I think this is where it's it, it's insightful, right? Because it's kind of like everyday situations that are kind of like you you just would never think about, and and then when you combine that with the type of business they're running, the they're running this um, fishing business, and you know, industrial sort of machinery, kind of high health and safety risks. It just it adds a whole other sort of element of sort of drama to to everything going on. Yeah. Oh, you're so right. And there there are some there are some hilarious scenes in this. Um, the music teacher is hilarious. Um, Eugenio Derbez, he is absolutely fantastic as the music teacher. The the other thing that cracked me up was when the the telling when she was ruby was telling her friend to sign something to her brother because she wanted to be able to say something nice to him but it actually meant something completely different and when the the brother and sister are signing different insults to each other and um you can sort of as you're sort of reading the subtitle and watching the the sign and you can you can understand exactly what it is they're saying it's there's a lot of lot of fun in there but the the uh the heart of this movie for me is the singing um i'm not always about a, a movie with a lot of singing in it if i'm honest but this is a perfect example for me of where a song where, where the singing of a song in a movie really works so well and this relationship that uh these characters build is is so wonderful and then the strongest scene for me is the singing of that song at the end but when it's it's muted so we have a, a muted ending so we get to experience to some extent what it would be like to have been sat there like her parents were 
and to to not know if if, if their daughter can sing or not because they, they they can't hear that but to be watching other people's reactions and to see the tears and and just the facial expressions those heightened senses i thought that was absolutely amazing I think too, another thing we've got to give a shout out for this movie is I think Troy Kotzer, who plays um, Ruby's dad, um, Frank Rossi. Mm. I just thought, and I know that he's he's won a, an Oscar, I think, for Best Supporting Actor. I think he just, like, Samara would call these sort of movies like daddy-daughter movies. And I think this this is a real sort of, like, great one of those. Like, And I think that's why it kind of like almost tugs at the heartstrings the most is, you know, her dad is such an awesome character to start with and he just wants nothing for the best for um, his daughter but her daughter equally wants to kind of live her own life and she's got this talent um, that her, her family just can't really appreciate or understand and I think and it comes out right when she sort of says to them hey I want to get into music I want to be a singer and they're just like what if you're not any good you know like and it's and it's like she's got no way of kind of like conveying that to them and it's not till I guess you know they get to see people kind of clapping and cheering for their daughter that they you know truly start to believe in this this gift and they have to kind of it's kind of the sadness right like they have to kind of take it for granted and it's it's yeah kind of the the curse of it all so it's look I think it's just it's just a wonderful story it's kind of a it's an emotional journey but it's also a feel-good story and it for me it just helped me kind of appreciate the the life of sort of hearing impaired people a, a little bit more. Yeah. Oh, me too as well. And the, uh, the touching on that um, whole, I don't yeah. know if you're a good singer or not. There was a line where they, they were like, so if I was blind, would you choose to paint? You know, it's kind of like um, their frustration, but her passion for what she does, those two things coming together and a real feel good factor come the end, you know, it's, um, you know it's a, it's a love story it's a family story it's a feel good it ticks every box in that respect and it's yeah it's it's all the guns for me then it's all four guns all the four guns for me as well i think if you want to check out coda then you can currently find that on uh, apple tv and yeah a highly recommended watch from us so having looked at everything we've watched this week and read this week then in terms of pick of the week this is one of the hardest weeks we've had in, in some time. And I feel like I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm going to stick with Coda. That was for me, I think, because I just didn't expect it to be that good. Whereas I, I, I expected 1883 to be good. I expected Star Wars book to be good, maybe. But um, this one, I was like, oh, is it going to be good? And it really was. So that's my pick of the week. It, I think you're right. Like, it's a real tough week to sort of make that decision. I think because you've picked Coda, I'll go with uh, 1883. I think just for everything we've been talking about in the pod, my love of a good Western story has ticked all the boxes. I could probably go and hit play on episode one all over again and go on that journey because I just loved it so mm. much. So 1883 for me. Shall I take us over to the news desk one more time? Yeah, what do we got? <laughs> <laughs> all right. So not a lot on the news desk today, um, but I guess the great thing of re-recording your podcast is a little bit more news comes out. So, you know, we get to add a little bit to the story. So, first of all, um, we've been talking a little bit about the the upcoming Star Wars movies on the podcast, particularly in the news desk. And we know that Taika Waititi is um, set to sort of make the next Star Wars movie. And it's sort of long been sort of, I guess, discussed. And Kathleen Kennedy herself talked about that they'll be looking at a 2023 release date. But Taika's recently been doing a bit of a press tour, which I guess for Thor, Love and Thunder. And he's actually... He's still writing the story. He's still he's still working out what is the story to be told. So, I think mm. for those people expecting a movie in twenty twenty three, maybe uh, put those expectations in check. I would imagine we'll probably at the earliest the twenty twenty four, probably a twenty twenty five. When you think about the the amount of like visual effects work that has to sort of go into those movies, the production, costume design, etc. I think we're a little way off, but. I think it's okay because I think, you know, we are getting so much good Star Wars content. Um, it's, you know, we've still got the Mandalorian, we've got um, the Andor series, we've got Ahsoka, we've got Bad Batch. Like, there's a lot of good stuff to sort of keep us going in that space. So, you know what I say? Take your time, Taika. You do what's right. I, I agree. You know, we've got Lando, we've got the Acolyte. But there's so much coming. 
how often do I say with anything I watch, the writing, the story is the most important thing. So get it right. Take your time. So speaking of Thor, Love and Thunder, um, so Christian Bale has also been doing a bit of a, a press tour and he's been asked the question, would he ever return to Batman? And his answer, black and white, yes, if Christopher Nolan asked him to reprise the role. And so he, he made a, a, a bit of a deal and agreement that they would only do it together. And so if Christopher Nolan's up for it, Christian Bale's up for it, I'm on board, Paul. I know that we've got um, the Robert Patterson Batman. Great. I think these things can coexist. We've got, you know, imagine just getting one more movie of grumpy old Bruce Wayne working out his protege in the Christopher Nolan universe. Like, I don't, I don't think we'll get it, but I would be there for it. I'd, I'd, I'm, it's a day one watch for me. I would I would love that story, that older, grizzled Batman that we've seen in animated series and we've seen in comics. I'd love to see that. You know, and we've already got... Michael Keaton coming back as Batman at some point when The Flash hopefully airs, given all the controversy around that, but surely that's going to air at some point. And Robert Pattinson surely has to have another outing after his Indeed. amazing outing. I mean, could could we have three Batmans going? I mean, I say yes. Of course we can. It, look, it's complicated, but I think, you know, we're all, we're all old enough to sort of put them in their right boxes. <laughs> so hopefully, Correct. hopefully. But I, I, it, it's a long shot. Um, a couple of final bits of news. So Harley Quinn season three has finally got a release date. It looks like it's coming out to HBO in July. It's sort of been a couple of years since we've had um, a new season of Harley Quinn. So if you're a fan of that sort of very adult, very sort of um, crude dark comedy, then this is good news for you. Uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel is coming in December 2023. If you're a fan of Ghostbusters, then this is going to be good news for you. Um, it seems to be another franchise that they just sort of keep kind of rebooting and, and going and going with. So very exciting. And then a final bit of news from me is uh, another TV show on Apple TV, actually, C, which I've, I've, I've raved about for a long time on the pod, is season three is coming out in August, and it will be the final season of the show, which I think is, like, that's fine. I'm happy with three seasons. Uh, season one and two absolutely fantastic so i'll be there for season three you can expect more once that shows the finish hearing any news from you paul one thing i found since we last recorded um recent well relatively recently retired back in 2018 cameron diaz said that she was done she's coming back uh she's she's signed up to um do a movie with jamie fox so um I always find it interesting when people say they retired and they sort of, you know, they come back. But um, unlike, you know, like Gene Hackman or Jack Nicholson, who said, I'm done, uh, Cameron Diaz is coming back. So uh, she's going to do a movie with Jamie Foxx. And talking of um, people coming back, uh, George Clooney and uh, Julia Roberts, uh, who I've you know, recently enjoyed in my Oceans rewatch, um, they've teamed up again uh, for a, another movie um, together about a, a divorced couple that wind up sitting next to each other on a plane by chance. Amazing. <laughs> and even the trailer is enough just to say, oh yeah, I, I need to watch that because um, mainly because I just don't feel like I've seen either of them too often, particularly Julia Roberts of late. And so uh, I just think the two of them together have great chemistry. So another one to watch out for there. Nice. Anything in the mailbag this week? Probably the biggest thing to report this week, Dan, is our um our review of the Madden Freeman police drama The Responder. That one picked up quite a few listens from some of the cast and some of the crew. So that's always a massive treat. So we had the writer and the creator, Tony Schumacher, retweet our review. Then he followed us and then he replied thanking us for the great review. And we even asked him about a second season. He replied he's working on it. So fingers crossed. Um that's a bit of an exclusive for us, I guess. We then he then even responded to something you said then uh, in the pod uh, about not understanding all of this case, and he said, "I'll see if I can get you some subtitles too." So hopefully that's going to reach uh, TVNZ as well, Dan. You know what, Paul? If if we get subtitles for season two, I am a hundred percent going to take credit that I've single handedly, you know, not only assisted um, everyone to help understand this case, but actually up. Oh, you know, thinking about our Coda movie, help the hearing impaired who might not have been able to sort of, you know, enjoy Correct. the responder. 
series like everyone else, but I think it's awesome. I love it when um, people from the show, particularly the sort of creators, actually listen to our reviews and, 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 you know, get involved in the conversation. It's so awesome. It's always good when they listen, when we've said something positive as well, you know. Um, I'd like to think that maybe you know, in, in the credits, you know, in the credits, they have special thanks. They might have half measures podcast in there as a, as a special thanks for the, for the subtitles. Um, Philip McGuinness, he played, he was actually in the Batman movie earlier this year, but he also played Ian, uh, who was one of Carl's heavies in the movie. He gave us a listen and a follow as well. And then he, he also sent out a review to his followers saying, thanks for a great review of the responder. Brilliant to see how much uh, love this show is getting around the world. Great pod too, which is, it's just the greatest that that sort of stuff being able to reach the people who have been in something we've really enjoyed. We also had a retweet from Faye McKeever. She was the the actress who played Carl's wife and also the CEO of the production company who um, the BBC commissioned. Um, so another CEO retweet. So that was, that was really awesome. Um, it's probably for me, and we've talked about it before. One of the highlights is if we can give something back in terms of that positivity, if we enjoy something, and we can reach someone who's who's made that that is the best and finally peak performance so last week we had brad pitt now controversially you and i have had to issue a warning this week because michael from north carolina um attempted to supersede the peak performance honorable mention and even the three two one which paddy has you know maintained as his official format he tried to give us a top six so the warning was issued and we have accepted a top three from Michael, which is True Romance, Interview with a Vampire, and his number one, as we saw in his top 10 list the other week, uh, Fight Club. Um, a great top three there. Fantastic choices. I, I love True Romance. It's such a fantastic movie. Yeah, it's another one that we could add. Our rewatch list, Dan, I've got a separate tab, is off the scale. Uh, we also had Ryan from Oakland who went with The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Uh, Norman from Mission Log Podcast had Inglorious Bastards. And then Paddy from Time Traveling Teamp Podcast, 321 of Legends of the Fall, Fight Club, and also Inglorious Bastards. So three strong choices from Paddy there. That's the mailbag this week, Dan. That's awesome. A lot of great Brad Pitt um, movies out there. Shall we jump into our peak performance this week? Uh, this week, much like movie of the week, we take turns sort of choosing actors, actresses, directors, uh, producers, and we choose our favourite movies. This week, we are looking at Mr. Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons, indeed. So I'll pretend to surprise you with my choice this week then, because my two choices were one year apart. First, honourable mention, goes to 1994's Lion King and his performance as as Scar because you know this this I'm fairly sure is my first ever animated movie choice for an actor but because so much of this movie relied on the the voice actor work it is such an emotional watch I I do enjoy the modern day telling you know the live action version but this this version is just supreme and, and so much of it is because of the performance of jeremy irons in the in the role of scar and i don't think they they did quite such a good job with with all due respect with the live action version and this this is the supreme version for me and i just i absolutely love it it's a it's a good shout and i think you know if you'd said to me who was scar like i i almost kind of have forgotten that it's jeremy irons but as soon as you hear that voice it's um it's it's definitely him and i think he did such a wonderful job yeah, and the voice played a part for why I chose the next movie as peak performance, which was actually the next movie he made after Lion King, which was 1995's Die Hard with a Vengeance, which is my favourite Die Hard movie, believe it or not. And I, I think, you know, because he spends so much time on in this movie on the telephone with, with Bruce, Wayne, Bruce, Wayne, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson's characters and plays that game of Simon Says. And so there's that sort of not knowing who the bad guy is and they don't know who he is for so long. And then eventually they do sort of meet up and it gets really intense. But I just find him absolutely superb because this is a difficult franchise to come into and and to try and be the bad guy in, I think. And for me, for this to be my favourite Die Hard movie, which I know it's probably not a popular choice, is... Um, is is in in many ways not just Samuel Jackson performance, but also Jeremy Irons as the villain. So um, 
so yeah that's my choice great shout paul so i'm actually coming in hot on the heels of that so um die hard with a vengeance is my honorable mention and um it's actually interesting the the first die hard movie i ever got to see in the theater and i think it's probably not my favorite die hard movie i'd probably say the first one's more for me but for the same reasons that you just mentioned um i think jeremy irons played a fantastic bad guy particularly when you think about the 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 big shoes that he had to fill um from the first couple of movies so um just just a fantastic villain fantastic voice uh and i think jeremy irons is one of those people that can equally be the play the hero as much as the villain so just an all-round good shout but my peak performance i'm actually going to go for the 1998 movie the man in the iron mask now a little bit of uh, insight into daniel white and king big big um fan of the musketeers absolutely loved this movie in the when it came out in the theaters instantly went away to read the books about the the musketeers just couldn't get enough of it and i think jeremy irons as aramis was just such a a great combination and like we've already got a star-studded cast right we've got leonardo dicaprio he's playing two roles in the movie greedy um we've got john malkovich <laughs> Uh, we've got Gabrielle Bryan. We've got uh, like it's just it's full of 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 strong a strong strong cast, and you know this is an older um, group of musketeers, and I think that Aramis was just you know, always sort of one of my sort of um, favorite musketeers, and I just have so many fond fond memories of seeing this in the theater and and watching this movie for for many years to come. In fact, I I need to add this to my rewatch list, even though it's it, it probably hasn't dated well, but. Look, I had a great time. So for me, Die Hard with a Vengeance and The Man in the Iron Mask. Awesome choices, Dan. And yeah, The Man in the Iron Mask, I've seen once. So you've seen that one a fair few times more than me. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of another episode of the Half Measures podcast. Yes, indeed. We do hope you're listening to this and that's recorded properly. Uh, if if you are listening to this, get in touch with us. Let us know your peak performance for Jeremy Irons. Let us know what you thought of 1883 or Coda or if there's something you think we should consider for our next movie of the week um, come along join our discord chat as well you can find us in the the show notes and also on Facebook Twitter Instagram Pinterest Tumblr all the places and a very special shout out to our Patreon producers Samara White and King Trisha Brady Diana Canella and Linda Tabner we couldn't do it without you if you too would like to become a patron of the show and help keep the lights on here, keep the machinery of the Half Wishes podcast moving along, then you can find the the details for that in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios. (laughs) 